What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. One of the things I love about John's gospel is that he shares with us many encounters that Jesus has with individuals. And, you know, typically as you go through the other gospels, you have Jesus with groups like the disciples or maybe the multitude. But but John picks out several individual encounters that that Jesus has. And and I love that because as we look at these people's lives, they're so relatable to our own lives and the things that we deal with. Because, you know, these people struggle with things that we often struggle with. They seek things that we often seek. They, they depend on things that, that we often depend on. They fail in areas that, that we fail in as well. They live for things that we live for. And we've seen this in the individuals so far that Jesus has had encounters with here in the Gospel of John. We have Nicodemus, a, a religious man who's ultimately depending on the wrong thing to save him. He's depending on his religious works and he thinks that's going to ultimately be what saves him, but he has an encounter with Jesus, and he learns that he must be spiritually born again in order to truly be saved. We can relate to you know a man, a woman at the well, where she has this encounter with Jesus, and she's seeking to fill the thirst in her life through relationships with men. And every time she you know goes from one relationship to the other, she's married and divorced five times. It never fulfills her. But then she meets Jesus. She discovers that it's only through Him and a relationship with Him that truly what she's thirsting for can be fulfilled. We can relate to the nobleman whose son was dying and you know he has this encounter with Jesus and he, he limits Jesus' power. He believes that Jesus has to go with him to his son in order for his son to be healed and doesn't recognize that Jesus' word alone is enough. But that encounter with Jesus and that challenge to go home your son lives and to believe the words of Jesus and to see his son healed, he ultimately comes to that understanding of trust in the words of Jesus alone. Well, this morning we come to John chapter 5 and we're going to encounter another individual that Jesus spends time with, that Jesus ministers to, that Jesus speaks to. And this individual is another person that each one of us can relate to. Here's a man who has three things really going on in his life. First, he is disabled. Second, he is desperate. And third, he is disappointed. You know, these are three things that I'm sure all of us can relate to in our own lives. Each one of us have disabilities, areas in our own life where we're weak, where we're unable in our own strength, in our own power to accomplish something that we need to accomplish. Each one of us have times of desperation, the, the difficulties of life, the struggles, the, the hardships that come against us lead us often to this place of, of desperation. And each one of us also have times where we're disappointed. 
You know, there are many things in life that, that bring disappointment to us. So this man that we're going to look at here in John chapter 5, who is disabled, who is desperate, who is disappointed, is a man that hopefully you and I can relate to because he's dealing with things that we deal with, struggling with things that we struggle with. Now, the most important part of this encounter that he has with Jesus is not the problem. Not these three issues that he has. The, the most important part of this encounter with Jesus is the solution to the problem. And that's what we've seen with everybody who is an individual who has encountered Jesus. You know, the real focus of what we're learning is that Jesus is the solution. Nicodemus, the religious man, depending on the wrong things to save him, he comes to Jesus. Here's his problem, depending on the wrong things. But Jesus is the answer to the solution. A belief in him will ultimately got, cause him to be born again. The woman at the well, once again, thirsting for the wrong things, trying to find fulfillment in the wrong things and, and relationships with men. But the solution to her problem is in Jesus. You realize the relationship with Jesus is the thing that I truly need to satisfy satisfy the thirst in my life. The nobleman's problem of underestimating Jesus' power, of thinking that he has to be there in his son's presence in order to heal him, not believing that Jesus' words have the power in and of themselves. The solution to that problem is, is encountering Jesus, finding that a belief in him and a trust in his words alone have the power to heal his son. Well, the man here in John chapter 5, he's got several problems. He's disabled, he is desperate, he's disappointed, but he too will find the solution to his problems in Jesus. And so as we look at this man, at his problems, these are problems that each one of us can relate to, but I want us to think about the problems in our own life. And hopefully as we go through this to come to the conclusion that Jesus is the answer. He is the solution to the problems that you and I face. Just like he was the solution to Nicodemus and the woman at the well and the nobleman and the man we're going to look at this morning, he is the solution for you and the solution for me. So let's look at the problems this man has, the solution that Jesus gives, and how that relates to you and I. John chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says this, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. So John starts chapter 5 with the words, after this, and he's speaking of what has just happened with Jesus' encounter with the nobleman and his son. So after Jesus sends the nobleman away to go back to his son, heals his son, after that happens, now we see this new event, this new individual that Jesus has an encounter with, and Jesus travels from Cana, where he was when he healed the nobleman's son, down to Jerusalem, and he's there for one of the feasts of the Jews. We're not told which feast it is, but Jesus, as a one who came to uphold the law, he always went to Jerusalem and celebrated these feasts. And so he's there at one of these feasts, and there in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate was a pool. And the pool is called the Pool of Bethesda. That word Bethesda means place of mercy. 
So, so in Jerusalem, you have this special pool, this pool that is titled the place of mercy. And we're actually going to see in our story this morning that for one man, this truly is going to be the place of mercy for him. Now, as you can see from this picture, this pool is located just outside the northern gate, uh, right next to the temple. Uh, you have the sheep gate in that northern gate. And then just a little bit outside of that, you have this pool. And it's not like a swimming pool in the backyard, as you can see. Uh, it had five different porches providing shade and many people could be there. And this is, you know, an artist model of what it probably would have looked like uh, back in that time. You can find out what it looks like today. Here's some pictures of the ruins of this pool. If you go to Jerusalem today, you can see uh, what it looks like now as just, you know, a long time later. But notice here in verses three and four, we're told something interesting. At this pool lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. So the people who came to the pool is a, a specific group of people. Notice the group that we're told here that's a multitude. So, so many people, but they're all people who got issues. They're sick people, they're blind people, they're lame people, they're paralyzed people. And the reason that they're coming to this pool, this, this pool of mercy, is quite interesting. That we're told that they're waiting for the moving of the water. Well, what happens when the water moves? Well, for an angel went down at a certain time in the pool, stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, I need to pause for a moment and, and deal with a, a, an issue that we have here. Some of you who do not have this translation, a different translation of your Bible, you'll notice that the end of verse 3 all the way through verse 4 um, which reveals why the people waited at this pool, it's not in your Bible. It's not there. And the reason for that is in the oldest manuscripts that we have, you know, the Bible's not written in you know, English, so the oldest Greek, the oldest Hebrew uh, manuscripts we have, uh, we don't have these verses in there. And so there are different thoughts as to what transpired. Many scholars believe that an individual put in the margins next to this, you know, hey, this is an explanation of why these people were waiting at this pool of Bethesda, and then someone who was translating it added this translation as it was written by John when perhaps it was not. But the reason that this person probably put it in to begin with is because what we're told in verse 7, kind of to give some clarification to that, notice verse 7 says, So the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Now, it's important to note that this verse, verse 7, is in all the old manuscripts. So this is not something that is, you know, uh, in discrepancy. But it's clear that this man wanted to get into the water before it stirred up. And you kind of just read that and say, well, what's that all about? Well, what is the stirring of the water? Why do you want to get in there? And so it seems that, you know, this is possible that someone kind of added a little bit to kind of explain this. 
But it's interesting, several historians of that time, you know, they write about why people came to this pool of Bethesda, this pool of mercy, and they explain this exact reason. Because of this belief that an angel stirred water, and that if they got in there first, they would be healed. So it's something that definitely was historical, it, it took place. Uh, and so, yes, it's likely that John did not write this, but what is being written is not some false thing, it's just a historical event of why they actually went uh, to this pool, uh, but the addition does lead in, to an important question of, did what verse 4 says actually happen? You know, did an angel come down, stir the water, and the first person that got into the water was healed? You know, was this something that God did that was literally happening? And, you know, you can go and you can study all sorts of different scholars, and all will agree on the same answer, we don't know. Uh, we don't know if this is something that actually happened. Is it possible? Sure. There's a lot of odd ways that God chose to heal people in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, even Jesus spits in mud and rubs it in someone's eye. I mean, there's things that happen that you would kind of think, that's kind of unusual. So an angel coming down, stirring some water. Is it possible that God used that? Sure. But is it possible that he didn't? Yeah. This could have just been some hopeful legend. You know, someone could have come, you know, and the springs underneath uh, the wells there, which they have a lot of them, it could have just been naturally uh, bubbling up and stirring the water. It wasn't any angelic movement. It was just something under the water that was doing that. And someone could have come and they could have gotten the water and perhaps maybe they were healed or perhaps they told people they were healed. And all of a sudden this news spreads. If you go to this pool, the pool of mercy, and you get in there when that water's stirred and you're the first one in, you're going to be healed. Now, notice who comes to this, because the people who'd be most susceptible to a legend like this would be the people who are lame and paralyzed and sick and blind, the people who have tried everything to be healed and nothing's worked. And so it's like, well, you know, let's try the legend. Let's go to the pool. You know, maybe that will be the thing that brings me healing. But the reality is, for our story, it doesn't really matter whether or not this actually happened. It doesn't matter if it was an angel stirring the water or if it just came by natural causes. What does matter is that everybody who came believed it. And more specifically, the man that Jesus is going to encounter, he believed that if he could be first in that water when it was stirred, he would be healed. So whether or not it actually would take place, it's kind of irrelevant. The point being, this man believed it would happen, and that's why he came to this pool. That's why he's there. He's seeking to be healed. And so that's what we see here. And I want you to try to, you know, picture the scene, what it would have been like. I mean, everybody who's there are just people who are sick. People who are blind, people who are lame, people who are paralyzed. I mean, you got all these people with these different problems sitting there, and they're just waiting for the water to be stirred. And they're thinking, man, if I can just be the first one in, whew, all my problems will be done. I'll finally be healed. I won't be blind anymore. I won't be paralyzed anymore. I won't be sick anymore. I won't be lame anymore. If I can just get in that water first and just imagine what that would be like, because you know, the odds of you being the first one in the pool when the water stirred would depend on two main things. First, it would depend on your proximity to the pool. 
The closer you are, the better your odds are of getting in. You're right on the edge of that water, that water stirred. You're going to have the greatest odds of getting in there besides someone who's way back, has got to jump over 10 people to get to that water. So, so proximity is going to be important. And I can just imagine the amount of fighting over the location of right around the pool that would transpire. Maybe some of these people stayed there for days and some new person comes in and I'm sure everybody's like, you get to the back. You know, we've been here. I mean, no one likes it when someone cuts in line, especially you've been waiting all the, you know, people going to get their new iPhones. They go out their days early and, you know, if someone tries to cut in that line, you better watch out what happens to you. But I'm sure these people, you know, they wanted the best spots. I'm sure there was a lot of fighting to get there because they're thinking, man, my healing is on the line here. So that would be one thing that would raise or lower your odds. But the other thing that would really raise or lower your odds would be how great your physical problem was. The greater your physical problem is, the less likely you're going to get into that water in front of someone else whose physical problem isn't as bad as yours. I mean, if you were just sick, but yet you were still physically strong, you could get up, you could get to that water quickly, then your odds of getting there are pretty good. The ones whose odds would be the worst would be those who are paralyzed. Those who in and of themselves are physically incapable of moving themselves to the water. But I mean, just think about it. If you're deaf, you're constantly watching the water. You gotta make sure you see it when it's stirred because if you're napping or if you're looking somewhere else and it's stirred, you're not gonna hear the commotion of everybody moving towards it. You're not gonna get in there first. If you're blind, you're even worse off. You can't look for the stirring of the water. You can't see. And so you're just hearing. And once you hear this mad rush to the water, you're trying to get up and stumble down there. And the likelihood of you winning that race is pretty unlikely as well. But you know what? If you're paralyzed, you got one hope that someone else is going to put you in the water. You know, maybe you're on the edge and you're just like, you know, when it's stirred, just give me a nice kick and I'll be the first one to touch the water. But you're completely dependent on someone else to get you in there. The odds of someone like that were pretty much impossible. What I want you to note is the man that we look at here this morning, that's the odds that he's facing. He's incapable in and of himself, in his own strength and power, to get himself to the water, but he's there. He's got this hope, but also hopelessness. Uh, Oh, I hope I can get into that water, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. I have this hopelessness because of all the odds that are stacked against me. Let's see what happens. Verse 5. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water stirred up, but while I'm coming, another one steps down before me. So as I mentioned at the beginning, these verses reveal three problems that this man faces. The first thing is that he was disabled. We're told that he had an infirmity, notice how long, 38 years. Now we're not told exactly what this infirmity is, but we are told in verse 7, he needs someone else to put him into the pool. So whatever it is, it's probably something paralysis, some kind of lameness, something that is hindering him. He has no strength in and of himself to get himself to that water. He needs someone else to do that on his behalf. So the infirmity makes it impossible for him to get into the pool. He's powerless to get to the place where he believes will bring him healing. So first, he's disabled. Second, this man is desperate. 
You know, the longer we face a problem, the greater our desperation grows. I mean, in 38 days of having some kind of sickness or some kind of ailment, we start to become desperate for some kind of healing. 38 months, we're super desperate. Imagine how desperate you are after 38 years. I mean, here's a man who's gone maybe his whole life or a huge majority of his life in this state and the desperation that now starts to come because he's so desperate to have his life changed, to be made whole. But he doesn't have the power to do it himself. That would definitely make you desperate. So he's disabled, he's desperate, and third, he's disappointed. Now I want you to picture this. I wonder how many days in a row, maybe this water stirred all the time. Maybe it was a daily occurrence. And perhaps he was there on a daily basis hoping today's my day. And just imagine over a span of 38 years how many times he was at this pool, how many times he watched that water get stirred, and how many times he watched someone else get in before him. And I would imagine that he would also not just be aware of like, oh, 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 I could have been second. No, the likelihood for him was hundreds of people could get in that water before me. I saw the mad rush. I saw that first person, that second person, that third person. There was 50 of them before I even was able to move it all. I'm sure he came to a recognition that this is impossible. I'm never getting to that water unless someone helps me. And who's going to help me? Who's going to want to put me in there above themselves? Everybody who's here wants to get in. Everybody who's here has got some issue. So why are they going to allow me to go and not themselves? I'm sure this disappointment probably brought him to a place of hopelessness. I'm never going to do it. I'm never getting in there. My life, it's been 38 years. This is it. I'm never going to be made whole. The disablement, desperation, disappointment. You know, I think it's a great picture of every single person before they place their faith in Jesus Christ. These are three things that greatly describe every person in our world, what you and I were before we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, what everyone who has yet to place their faith in Jesus Christ. These three things are perfect descriptions of their life. They're disabled. They are incapable in their own strength and power to get to God. Something that's far more significant than just the physical problem that this man is having. The people in this world, in their own strength, in their own power, they are incapable of getting to God. They are spiritually crippled and unable to save themselves. You know, before someone puts their faith in Jesus, they're also, they're desperate. You, know, you look at the world today, you know, people are desperate to find peace desperate to find fulfillment, desperate to find happiness and joy, and we see them seeking it in all sorts of different areas. Desperate for acceptance, and many desperate for salvation from God. The problem is, many are willing to try any way to receive those things, especially salvation, than the way that God has laid out. Oh, I'll try this relationship and, and this drug and, and this party scene and, and this and that and, and power and money. And, and I'll go down all these different roads hoping that this will fulfill, that this will save. I'll do good works. So I'll, I'll put in the work. But none of those things work. And they just leave people more and more desperate. Third, before someone puts their faith in Jesus, they're disappointed. 
Think about it. All the things that they tried, all the ways they tried to fix their life and the problems that they have have failed. All the things they've tried to find peace and fulfillment in have left them empty. All the works that they've done to try to get closer to God, they realize they're just as far from Him as they ever were. All the religions that they have followed have let them down, and now they're left in a state of utter disappointment. Now you know what? Being disabled and being desperate and being disappointed can be a good thing. And the only reason it can be a good thing is because it can bring us to a place that makes us receptive and open to Jesus Christ as the solution to the problem that we face. Verse 6, we're told this. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? You know, something I love about this scene, I love about Jesus, notice we don't see this man coming to Jesus or calling Jesus over. We see Jesus coming to him. Jesus sees this man. He sees his problem. He knows how long, 38 years you've been dealing with this. And Jesus comes to meet this man's need. He asks him, do you want to be made well? You know, I love that word. The Greek word translated well means to make someone whole. More than just a, a physical, hey, you know what, you have paralysis, or you have some kind of you know, infirmity, and I could take that from you. I want to bring wholeness to your life. Do you want to be made whole? This man probably was focused mostly on his physical infirmities. What he didn't realize is he had one that was more significant in his life, spiritual infirmity. And the one speaking to him could not only deal with the physical infirmity, but could also deal with the spiritual infirmity and make him truly whole. One of the wonderful things about Christianity is that we don't have to work our way to God. He worked his way to us. And this is what I love about this picture of here is this person who is helpless and desperate and God comes to him. Hey, I see your issues. I see your problems. I see what you're going through. Do you want to be made whole? I'm offering that to you. Do, do you want that? And you know what? Jesus does that for you and I. I've done all the work. I've paid for your sin. I've done everything to make you whole. Do you want it? It's available. I offer it. But you know, it seems like maybe a, an odd question to ask a guy like this. Do you want to be made whole? Of course I do. Why do you think I'm at this pool? I've been had dealing this for 38 years. But you know what? I see in so many people's lives, maybe it's not a physical infirmity, but an addiction of things that are in their life. And Jesus comes and says, do you want to be made whole? And the truth is, no, I do not. I want to hold on to this a little longer. I want to keep this going a little longer. I even see people who are dealing with some kind of infirmity say, you know, I don't want to be healed because I like the attention. I like what I get from this. There are some who, you know, I'm just resigned to being this way the rest of my life and I'm fine with it. Jesus comes, you want to be made whole. I can offer it to you. Do you want salvation? Do you want spiritual wholeness? I can give it to you, but, but you got to be wanting and willing. Well, this man thinks there's only one way to be made whole, and that's being first in the pool. And we see that in his response. He says, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Notice this man is so focused on the way he thought his healing and wholeness would come that he missed the fact that the one standing before him 
is the true one who could give him what he's searching for. Oh, sir, sorry. It's never going to happen for me because I don't have anyone to put me into this pool. Instead of realizing here is the source of healing and wholeness right before me. You know what? This man wasn't the only one who missed that Jesus was the one who can meet his need. Every person who's there is there for one reason. They want to get in that water. They want to be healed. They want to be made whole. And I think it's interesting. It's possible that it happened, but John didn't record it. But we have no record after Jesus, and spoiler alert, he is going to heal this man. He heals this man. And you know what? We don't have a record of anyone else at this pool coming to Jesus and saying, heal me. Which is shocking to me. I mean, everybody's there for healing. And they see this guy get healed by Jesus, and they're still just looking at the water. Hey, don't, don't pay attention to that, man. That water might stir. We got to get in there if we're going to be first, if we're going to get healed. And they're so focused on the wrong source of wholeness that they missed the real sources with them right there. And they could have asked him and they could have been healed, but they completely missed it. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. A blindness had come over these people at the pool. There they were. And there was Christ who could heal them but not a single one of them sought him. Their eyes were fixed on the water, expecting it to be troubled. They were so taken up with their own chosen way that the true way was neglected. You know, sadly, this is so true of many people today. That they're so taken up on their own choice for how to be saved that they miss the true way of salvation. They're so focused on their own way of how to be made whole that they miss the true way to become whole. They completely miss Jesus because they're focused on their works. They're focused on their religion. They're focused on this thing or that thing. And they think, no, no, this is the way. This is how I'm going to be made whole. This is how my life is going to be saved. This is how I'm going to get to God. And they're so focused on that. It's like the stirring of the water that they're not willing to see. No, this is a distraction to the actual way for wholeness and salvation to come through Jesus Christ. Jesus makes it very clear in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is making very clear, you know what? You can try the works, you can try the different religions, you can try all that stuff, but it will not result in what you think. It will not get you to God. It will not bring you salvation. There's only one way, and that's through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but by me. So this man believes he must get into the pool first in order to be healed. But Jesus is going to reveal something otherwise. Notice what Jesus says in verse 8. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Jesus tells this man to do three things. And I think all of them are quite significant. And all of them speak to us as, as we seek the Lord. Notice the first thing Jesus says is, Rise. And this is a crazy command. He starts with an impossible command for this man to do in his own strength and power. Here's something this guy hasn't been able to do for 38 years. Rise! I'm telling you to do something impossible, but that's the whole point. The only way this man is able to rise is for him to have a shift in his focus from his ability to Jesus' ability. He has to understand he can't rise in his own ability, but Jesus has the power to make him Rise. He has to understand that Jesus wouldn't ask him to do something that Jesus wouldn't give him the power to accomplish. 
And this is something so important for us to understand as we look to Jesus for help, as we look to Jesus for wholeness in life. You know, sometimes we look and we say, Lord, just show me the right program and I'll go follow up. Show me the, the right works to do and I'll go put them into practice. But notice the problem with that. The problem still comes back to, it's our ability. Lord, you tell me what to do and in my ability, I'll go and do it. And that's kind of how we think sometimes and how we approach things. And the problem is that never works. Why? Because it's not our ability that could ever bring the result that we need. It has to be in Jesus' ability alone. And until we come to that place when we might be thinking, rise, what are you talking about? Don't you see what I am? I'm paralyzed. I can't get up. Exactly. you got to realize you can't do it at all. You must depend completely on me in order for this to transpire. And that's where Jesus wants us to go. Get to the end of yourself and understand, I can't do it. I have to trust in Jesus to do it for me. So first, Jesus asks this man to do the impossible. He tells him to rise. Second, Jesus asks him to take up his bed. I love this because I want you to think about this. This bed has been kind of, you know, maybe a bittersweet thing for this guy. But here's what he's been stuck on for 38 years. He's always there. He's laying on this mat, this cot. You know, probably people use this to, to carry him around. And this is something that's been holding him for 38 years. And Jesus is now saying, pick it up. This thing that's been holding you, this thing that you've kind of relied upon for all this time, I want you to now hold it. You're not going back here. You know, you're not going to leave your mat here and think, you know what, I'm saving my place next to the edge of the water. You know, I might be back here tomorrow. You're not ever coming back here. You're not going to need this pool. Your healing is coming. Take up your bed. Jesus wants this man to see you got to move on from what you used to be. I don't want you going back to this broken life that you had before. You know, and this is something that's so important for us as well. When Jesus makes us whole, he doesn't want us going back to what we used to be. And sometimes, just like he tells this man, take up your bed and walk, there are things that we say, hey, they were holding me. There's addictions, there's sinful pursuits, there's things that, that I allowed to hold on to my life, and I sometimes bring them into my Christian life. And Jesus is like, no, 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 I want you to hold that. I want you to have power over that. I don't want you to have, have that have power over you anymore. Give it up. There needs to be a change. So first, Jesus asked him to do the impossible rise. Second, to not go back what used to hold him, to take up his bed. And third, he tells the man to walk. Jesus is going to make this man whole, but he wants this man to walk in that wholeness. He wants him to take advantage of the new life he's about to be given. You know, as this man walks around, it's going to be a testimony of the change that Jesus made in his life. Here's a man that people would know, that we recognize, 38 years. He can't do anything. And now he's walking around. How did this happen? What changed? Jesus changed me. We're going to see as this chapter goes on next week. You know, people are going to recognize, yeah, you're walking around. What's going on? This is a testimony of the power of Jesus in our life. When you put your faith in him and he does the impossible for you and he saves you from your sin, guess what? He makes you a new creation and he says, I don't want you to live like you used to live. Now I want you to walk in the newness of life that I've given you. I want you to walk in the wholeness that I have for you. I want there to be a difference in the way in which you live so that others can see the testimony of the power that I can do to change a life. 
So first, Jesus asked this man to do the impossible, rise. Second, don't go back to what you used to be. Take up your bed. Third, take advantage of the new life that I give you and walk. Notice what we're told in verse 9. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walk. This man trusted in Jesus, obeyed what Jesus said, believed that, you know what, Jesus has the power to do what he's telling me. And notice it wasn't a week from now or ten minutes from now. It was immediately. Right when that belief was placed into Jesus, immediately he's healed. Immediately he has the ability to rise, take up his bed, walk, and have this wholeness that he hasn't had for 38 years. And the thing I love about that is the moment that you and I put our trust in Jesus, we are made whole spiritually at that moment. It's not like, well, I, I pray for this and then sometime in the future it happens. No, you put your trust in Jesus. That moment you're forgiven. That moment you're made a new creation. That moment the Spirit of God indwells you. That moment there is a wholeness now that you didn't have before that you do now have presently. And the reason that Jesus can do that, the reason that He's capable of making someone not just physically whole, but more importantly, spiritually whole, is because He has dealt with the thing that has brought brokenness to our life, our sin. The reason that we're not spiritually whole now is because of sin. That's what's caused us to be spiritually broken instead of spiritually whole. And Jesus has dealt with our sin by dying for it on the cross. And then three days later, rising from the dead to conquer sin and death. So this morning I want to close taking some time just to remember the sacrifice that Jesus gave on our behalf. And as we remember that sacrifice by taking communion together, I want to encourage you to remember, hey, Jesus is the solution to your problem. He's the solution to the biggest problem that all of us face, and that is the sin that separates us from a holy God. And He has dealt with that so we can have a relationship with God. But He's also the problem solver of all our other issues. He's the solution to the problems in your marriage, to the problems at work, to the problems that you encounter, to physical, to spiritual, to emotional. Whatever problems we face, as we've looked at different people who had different issues, ultimately they all found the same answer. Jesus is the solution. And so often we're looking to the world, we're looking to other sources, we're looking to, to poor advice from friends or family, instead of coming to the source, the answer, Jesus himself, his word, and saying, you know what, I truly believe you are the solution to the problems that I face, that you can meet me where I'm at, that where I'm broken, you can bring wholeness, that where I'm weak, you can make me strong, that whatever I need, you are the answer. And that we would truly believe that and demonstrate it by coming to the source coming to Him, seeking Him to meet that need. And so as we remember what Jesus has done for us, remember the wholeness that it brings to your life. And take some time to thank Him for it. So can I have the worship team come on up? Worship team's going to lead us in a song. And as they do that, the communion elements are going to be passed around. And this is a, an open communion. If you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, we encourage you to partake with us. And we're going to just hold on to these elements. I'll come back up and, and pray, and then we'll uh, receive communion together. So let's have the, the worship team come on up.